picture. What star is that? Yo, one, two, for two, poo, the two, three, Yo, what's up? Thank you for listening to FarsideTV.com. You are listening to Side Life Radio, and as always, I am your host, Adisa the Bishop, a.k.a. the Black Dragon of the West Side, a.k.a. Zatoichi. Domo arigato gozaimasu! A.K.A. the South Bay Shogun. A.K.A. the Iron Hook Assassin. A.K.A. the West Side Saracen. Come on, man. You know what it is. This is Bishop Chronicles. I've been missing all of y'all. It is the Black Cortez killer himself. Adisa, Bishop Chronicles. We back, baby. We back. I miss you. Come on. Give me a hug, blood. Stop acting like you don't want this hug. Come here. Come here, girl. Give me a pound. Uh, eh. Oh, you missed the third. Hold on. All right. You got to learn how to give pounds properly. This is ridiculous. You should know by now. Anyway, listen. Bishop Chronicles is the world's first podcast giving you West Coast perspectives on hip-hop, MMA, health, and fitness trends. Understand that nobody out there is lacing your cranium with this vibranium. Like Adisa, the bishop. You know what I'm saying? So just understand. All right? Look at me when I'm talking to you. Look. You can be down now or you can bow down later. You understand me? This is West Coast OG all day. So, thank you for taking the time to listen today. You know what I'm saying? I appreciate you. I've been getting lots of messages on the IG. Don't forget to holler at a scholar, you know what I mean? At Real Hip Hop Chess. At Real Hip Hop Chess on IG. And I've been getting hella people hitting me up. Shout out to all of y'all. Saluting all of y'all. Got love. For not some of y'all, not one of y'all, but all of y'all. Know what I mean? Listen, it's important for the people who are just listening right now. If this is your first time, understand. That if you're listening to the Bishop Chronicles, this may not be the best thing. How about a show now? There's the worst thing. And then I zoom, shock, zip, zoom, jump, zoom, zoom, shock, zip, zoom, worst thing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yo, it's what we do out here. You know what I'm saying? We got love for the whole planet. It is a worldwide West Side. But understand, this is the Bay to LA, boy. You know what I'm saying? This is Sacktown, the Bay Area, and back down. You know what I'm saying? So, but I thank you, I thank you, I thank you for listening. This is true. I missed y'all. Been doing a lot. What y'all been doing? Hmm? Hit me. Holla at a scholar. You understand? I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you're having a fantastic day and hope that opens up into a fantastic week. And I really mean that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, me and my man, Mike Rum. You know, he produced this show, among other many amazing things. Did y'all see him tearing down at the Fortnite events in the stadiums? I know some of y'all did. Because them things was packed, boy. You know what I mean? Mike Rum was tearing it down. Plus, he had that sick uh, Men in Black remix. Y'all ain't even seen that? Man. Stop playing. You know what I'm saying? At Mike Realm. M-I-K-E-R-E-L-M. Bruh. Devastating devastator. Look, but we both need favors. You know what I'm saying? I need you, whether you're on Spotify, Mixcloud, right, or iTunes, go subscribe. 
We need that. And if you're on Spotify or iTunes, I need you to leave a comment. You know what I mean? Just be like, yo, this is a dope show. Right? And then do me one favor. Just take this show or another show that you like and forward it to one person. Not even asking you to, yo, send it to all your Google contacts. Post it on. Listen, send it to one person and be like, yo, I think you would like this. That's all the OG is asking for. Come on, man. I look out. Look out for me. Now I mean, I look out, look out for me. That's all I'm saying. So real quick, it's time to give heartbeat props. And um, why? Why do we do heartbeat props? Because we want to give props to people who are living while they're living, right? The idea is right now, think of three people who have been helping you, who have done something specific to make your life better. Maybe they spotted you $5 when you were stuck and couldn't get on a train. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to the homie Greg, because he sure enough did that. I see you, Greg. Um... Maybe it was someone who just took a late phone call from you because you was feeling down or sad or confused about something, right? Maybe it was somebody who had a hookup to somebody else that you needed to to get your business done or, or get your grade right. You know what I'm saying? I want you to call them and thank them for real. You ain't got to stay all day. Give them five minutes. Just be like, look, I just want to thank you, homie. I just want to thank you, homegirl. You know what I'm saying? It's about the heartbeat props. So the first heartbeat props is going to prideclothing.co at prideclothing.co killing it with the amazing hip-hop and jujitsu lineup of clothes bruh sick truly sick pride clothing got the sick clothes they got the they got the nipsey hustle grappling club shirt you ain't even seen that you ain't seen that ice cube lethal injection shirt that's my favorite I don't know which one my favorite is. Plus, they got sick rash guards, all kind of dope stuff. And he showed me some stuff that they fit in the drop. I can't tell y'all about. I can't tell. Look, I said I wouldn't tell. No snitching. That's right. So anyway, go to at prideclothing.co. Check them out. Check them out. Right? I'm giving a next dope shout out to my homegirl. Tembisa M. Shaka. Right? On IG, she's at official lip game official lip game now if you're really a part of the hip-hop industry and the culture you know how dope she is you know what she's done for hip-hop from way back panels to the gavin conventions to doing the copy writing stuff for nas and wu-tang she's a factor anyway i just want to shout her out because over the past couple weeks man she's really laced me on some life stuff and really kind of laced me on some business stuff because i'm working on my book she's giving me good advice and so yo Shout out to you. Thank you. All right. Next up, my homie, man. I haven't seen him in forever, but we vibe well. Cave Mike BJJ. Yo, my man is a, a good dude. Great dude. Know what I mean? He, he teaches at the cave over in Pacifica, California. Check out his jujitsu school. He's been posting some amazing videos on, on, on having a dope triangle choke, which if any of y'all really know me, you know my triangle's already sick. But... His videos are dope, and they're helping me look at some angles on triangle defenses, and I'm appreciating them. And he's just a funny dude, and he does well, man. Like, his kids, his kids are dope. He's got a great kids team, great adults team. Shouting him out. Much respect to at Cave Mike BJJ. You know what I'm saying? Now, my next person for heartbeat props is not even a person. It's hella people. And I'm really, I'm really not going to do this too often, all right? But I have to do this. My kids... No, I'm not talking about my children's. I do have beautiful children. Aren't they great? They are great. All of them. That's right. I see y'all. But I'm, you know, I'm not just talking about my daughter who graduated. I see you, girl. I seen you like, uh, 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 walking across that stage. All right. 
I'm not talking about you. Although you are amazing and daddy loves you, bring it in. It's hug time. Yes, you're beautiful and smart. Proud of you. Happy you're going to college. I love you, girl. Now, I'm talking about all of my kids. I'm a teacher player. I'm a teacher. I got kids all over the state. I got kids everywhere. Where? Everywhere. Now, that's everywhere for those that can't hang. Zaire, player, great work. Jason, Monica, Nayeli, Chelsea, Lolly, Maya, Oronde. I see you with them video edits, boy. You doing it. Plus, huh? What? We ain't forgot. Jasmine, JD, Sean, my young player, Kill Moves, Sean, bro. All right. Jasmine, JD, and Sean were all the first kids in the seventh grade who really learned the HHCF methodology. And that was like six years ago, and now they're graduating. And here's my point. So many of those kids from that time, junior high schoolers, hit me up and were like, yo, shout out to Anna. I ain't forgot you, Anna. I'm sorry to all y'all from the seventh grade who I'm not shouting out. And I'm, sh- I'm sorry for all of y'all graduates, you know what I mean, that I taught at Realm Charter School that I'm not shouting out. But I love all of y'all. I'm grateful to you. But you know why? I'm grateful because so many of y'all reached out and said, yo, Mr. Bishop, one of my favorite teachers, appreciate you. Your stuff helped me stay focused. Your stuff helped me graduate. Yo, that really means and meant a lot. It meant a lot, you know? And um, Sean was even president of the chess club at his school. That's right, because kill moves, do what he do, boy. And I'm proud of all y'all. Happy to see y'all going to college. Happy to see y'all thugging out in real life and just growing, all right? So shout out to all y'all. Heartbeat props. Much respect. Now, I also have to, I'm not trying to like go in a weird direction. I'm just just really being honest. There was a, a student of mine named Alyssa who passed away this past weekend in a car crash. And um, two, you know, I used to coach cheerleading and um, two of the cheerleaders were in a crash and one of them passed away. And um, the one who lived uh, took a lot of damage, but she's out of the hospital. Really happy for her. And um, what's up, Sasha? I hope you're still healing well and fast. Um, But Sasha lost her boyfriend and her best friend, Alyssa, in the car crash. And um, it's been really hard for me, you know, Um, because Alyssa was a cool person. You know what I'm saying? I hadn't even talked to her in about a year and a half or so, but like she was a good person. You know, and it always hurts when you see young people pass away, especially like she just graduated high school, you know, and um, it's been weird for me to process her passing so suddenly and without warning. And I hope that, you know, um, for parents and young people, I'm telling you, if you love somebody, you got to let them know. If you care about somebody, if you got something unsaid, you need to say it because... Life is unpredictable. I would have never, ever thought this would have happened, you know? All right. Now, trying to move over into some spectrum of positivity, we are going to look at the West Coast Word of the Week. West Coast Word of the Week. Yeah, did I mean. 
Right? This was made popular by Keek the Sneak. And really, I feel like FAB. Was it both of them? More Keek, I think. All right? Shout out to FAB, Mr. Fab, for, for Dope Era Clothing. When you see me with that Okanda shirt, yeah, yeah, he made that. Dope Era. Look him up. If you ain't got none, get some. Um, you know, it's funny, though, because, like, some people, I think, hey, I could be getting this wrong, and I don't want anybody to jump on me about this, but, like, did Mac Dre say, yeah, did I mean first? And Keek really just, like, super juiced it up? I don't remember. Somebody lace me right now, because I'm just kind of going off the dome right now. Forgive me if I got that wrong. Shout out to Mac Dre anyway, even if I did get it wrong. You know what I'm saying? Thiz. Anyway, I remember there was some stuff about New York dudes trying to say that, like, the West Coast dudes was biting them. And that's really not the case, bro. On the, on the East Coast, I remember back in the day when I would talk to DJ Vlad, like, he would talk about the way that they talk out there. And, you know, of course, you know, all the New York dudes just say, you know what I mean, when they would be in rap interviews and whatever. But then, like, I noticed, like, when he was talking to me, he would talk about how, like, the 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 the, the New York dudes would be like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, instead of, you know what I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, I get it, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, did I mean, that's straight West Coast, bruh, and we not tripping off y'all like that, bruh. That's Bay Area, bruh. That's the West Coast word of the week, yeah, did I mean? Um, so crease your khakis to that before you go, rat, you know what I mean? Uh, so what have I been up to? Man, I've been chilling, um... You know, been off for a while. I went to the DMC DJ battle. It was hella sick. Shout out to the winner, Ty Hanswell. DJ Lazy Boy, who took second. And DJ Davers, who took third. And also, shout out to DJ Akiko Love. That is my homegirl for real out there. Akiko Love is dope on hella level. I'm not even talking about the DJ ever, ever, ever. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about, like, her mind is Brainiac style. Hella smart just ridiculous anyway good to see everybody who i saw out there you know what i'm saying it was really dope because you know as usual boss juan you know what i'm saying from the mighty style elements crew was out there and it was hella fresh you know what i'm saying but like has anybody really looked at boss juan <laughs> like boss juan looks like he recently escaped a group home for like blind pimps and they dressed him what is going on with that dress code that dude is hilarious. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this dude smells like like a like a baby blanket that was vomited on with like old milk and then someone left it in the sun. I got love for Boss. I really do. But this is a true story. I swear to God this happened. <laughs> this really happened. So, so remember I talked about respect, hip-hop style and wisdom, right? Some people liked it. Some people didn't. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. Some people was in the middle. But it was fresh. 100,000 people came through. Wasn't perfect, but it was dope. I stand by it. West Coast for life. Here's my point. So Boss Juan is there performing, right? Opening for David Diggs of Hamilton fame. And so he's out there in this pastel suit and uh, some kind of fedora. And there's this kid, elementary school kid. And they're looking at him. And they look perplexed. And they look down. They look at him some more. And they look perplexed. And they look down. And I'm like, what's wrong? And the kid turns to me and says, I don't get it. Why is he dressed like the Easter Bunny? <laughs> and he wasn't. I mean, he was, but he wasn't dressed like the Easter Bunny deliberately. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, shout out to Boss Man. Love you, man. Great job MCing the show. Went to a party. Co-host the show. If it, 
Anyway, beyond that, I went to the Wu-Tang show. God's a rap. Wu-Tang, Rakim, De La Soul, and The Far Side, bruh. Tore it all the way down at the shoreline. Listen to me. God's a rap tour is mandatory business. If it's coming to your town in the future, next week, you gotta go. You have got to go. Um, I met Rakim. Listen, you know me, right? Met a lot of people in my lifetime. You know what I mean? Kicked it with some legends. A lot of legends. I kicks it with legends still. But I never met Rakim. Man, I went up to him, introduced myself, thanked him for everything he's done for hip-hop, the intelligence that he put in. If you're not up on Rakim, for real, you need to just go online, go to YouTube, and pull up Check the Technique, pull up Mahogany, pull up Follow the Leader, pull up Lyrics of Fury, pull up I Know You Got Soul, pull up I Ain't No Joke. This dude is amazing. And his impact on hip-hop, fashion, lyricism, oh. It's unbelievable. So anyway, I met Rakim. That was dope. Then I I I I met Maceo from Dela. Kicked it hard. Did you know he has like his own company, like pushing pies, amazing pies. Like I had one. Ridiculous. More on that soon. Trust me. Shout out to Maceo, bro. I called you. Call me back. You know we gonna hook it up. Hey, trust me. Um, and then the woo. Look. When the entire Wu was on stage, that is a historic moment. They tore it all the way down. This set was high energy from front to back. DJ Mathematics had a whole DJ set juggling records, old school style. It was, in a word, impressive. Shout out to Rizza and Jizza. Shout out to Rizza and Jizza. Shout out to Deck. If you go to my Instagram page at Real Hip Hop Chest. You can see some of my photos taken backstage. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Opio from, you know what I'm saying? Souls of Mischief. Shout out to Domino. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Booty Brown. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Imani. And Mike Brown, bruh, stays wrecking turntables. You know what it is. So, um, what am I into these days? Really, really? Man, I'm just taking online classes and working out. Intermittent fasting got your boy slimmed down. I'm feeling good. I'm looking good. You know what I'm saying? You know what the first thing Rizza said when he saw me? Peace, God. You lost weight. I'm going to say that one more time. Peace, God. You lost weight. <laughs> Word. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking kind of fresh these days, but And it's not an accident. I've been working out, been drinking water and tea, staying hydrated. You know what I'm saying? Percolated. Uh-uh. Yeah. So, shout out to Rizza, Jizza, the whole squad, for real. Devastating show. I recommend you catch the Woo live on stage for your sake, for real. Uh, what am I listening to? Still, just a mountain of lo-fi. I've been spending a lot of time on Spotify, putting together a playlist that I love. Lots of lo-fi. I've uh, been listening to a lot of random Kehlani tracks. Been listening to, like, hardcore hip-hop. Sean Price, Jedi Mind Tricks. You know what I'm saying? Like, in steady rotation. You know what I'm saying? MC8. You know what I'm saying? Real West West stuff. You know what I'm saying? Um, other than that, what am I reading? You know, the same things, man. I'm just, I'm just, I'm reading the same things. I'm not even going to update my reading list because I'm, I'm, I'm taking it slow right now, but I'm getting through it. And then the health talk. On the real, on the real, on the real, on the real. The thing to get this week is red clover blossom. It's a tasteless flower. You can put it in water and it helps clean your blood. Red clover blossom. That's what you need. That's what you need. 
All right. Just put it in there, maybe with a green green tea bag, and then make some lemon juice or some honey. It's really good for your blood system. Look it up. A lot of people say it has many powerful cancer-fighting properties. Okay? Red clover blossom. That's what's up. Now we're going to get to the center of the shrubbery maze, where we get to this interview, where we talk about hip-hop history. One of the biggest problems in hip-hop history is everybody bases it off of the New York narrative, which may or may not be wholly secure. Go online, look it up. People talk about DJs and queens that was doing stuff before BAM or even at the same time as BAM. And then people look at different aspects of hip-hop dance that came from the Bay, that came from Fresno, right? That came from Los Angeles, right? That's not b-boying, but it is hip-hop dance. You feel me? And so one of the things we're going to do on Bishop Chronicles is start talking about hip-hop history. And so we have the one and only Eric Arnold, all right, of Oak Culture. Oak Culture. This dude did a lot of the history, the local history of hip-hop here at the Oakland Museum in California for respect. But before that, I'm telling you, this dude wrote for The Source, tons of other publications, 4080. If you remember 4080, it was a big deal for a reason. And um, man, it's been out of control, the stuff that he breaks down. How he really breaks down that hip-hop started in 1964 in Oakland, California. I want you to think about that. This is real stuff. All right? So now we're going to jump into that. Have a blessed one. Oh, you know what I've been listening to? I didn't tell you, yo. I'm lying. I've been listening to at Michael Wall Street, a.k.a. Mike T. At Michael Wall Street. He got a track out right now called Die Rapping Hard. You need to go to follow him on Insta right now. He has been killing the mic for years. Michael Wall Street, a.k.a. Mike T, die rapping. Check that out. Now we're going to jump in. Shout out to Oakland right now. This is a real Oakland-centric show, by the way. You know what I'm saying? It is a worldwide West Side. People need to understand the uh, rap contributions to Oakland because there are many. I know you know some. I know you know some. But there's more. And you're about to learn them right now. When me, I, Uno Nuno, Adisa Banjoko interviews Eric Arnold. Tune in, open your mind, holla at a scholar. What's happening? Peace to the planet. You know what it is. Adisa Banjoko, you know what I'm saying? South Bay Shogun, you know what I'm saying? AKA the Iron Hook Assassin, you know what I mean? AKA, you know what I'm saying? The Black Cortez Killer. You know, we chilling. I'm in Oakland right now with uh, one of Oakland's finest. And I'm not talking about the police. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the one, the only, Eric Arnold, a.k.a. E. Scribe. What's happening, player? What up? Uh, thank you for being on Bishop Chronicles, man. You know, it's funny. I think we've known each other since 1990. I think it was a little bit later, actually. I'm not uh, sure, because I feel like I met you at Santa Cruz, but I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's possible. I mean, I know definitely for sure that uh, you were one of the OG writers for 4080 Magazine that I used to edit. This is true. That's actual factual right there. Shout out to 4080. <laughs> <laughs> right? 4080 was one of the sickest mags in hip hop for sure. And definitely the sickest come out the bay, I think, in terms of hip hop. And you know what? Record company people are still shady. 
they are still shady. This is true. This is true. That's why we don't miss the industry too much as it collapses. Not too much. Not, not too, too much. much. I, I, I miss some of the promos. I miss the pro- I miss the t-shirts. The t-shirts, yeah. The t-shirts the were t-shirts. dope. You know, because people knew when you had one of them shirts that somehow you were connected because everybody didn't have those, you know? Right, I mean? right, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, those were dope. Those were dope. Well, you know, this particular episode, we are going to talk about a city that's very important to the to the history of hip hop. And for me, you know, Bishop Chronicles is really about showcasing West Coast hip hop history. Just because I think there's just always been a standard imbalance. You know what I mean? In Oakland, so many of my early memories of hip hop, whether it's the Fresh Fest or just like being out and about, like are our 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 are centered in and around Oakland, you know what I'm saying? So I wanted to talk to you because, you know, um, Outside of my long history of knowing Eric, you know, he was he was a huge, huge part of being in uh, respect, hip hop style and wisdom. Um, why don't you let everybody know what you put together? Because oh. it was it was fantastic. Like this was like one of the most talked about aspects of the exhibit. So I want him to, to break it down. Uh, so I so I uh, researched uh five decades of hip hop history and put together this timeline based on my original research. And then I did a uh, an expansion, actually, of an article that I had done for Complex back in like 2011, called the Bay Area Rap Atlas, and that was um, that was about 25 locations um, where hip hop history happened in the Bay Area. And for the Oakland Museum exhibit, I expanded it to about 45. And so, you know, if you would have gotten one of these books, man, like what you'd have seen is there's like a map of Oakland with all these numbers. And then when you open the book, it'll take you to different spots. Like what were some of the spots that that they had in there? Uh, Some of the spots? Well, you know, I had uh, I had the original uh, uh, Too Short Dangerous Music Studio. Wow. uh, Yeah. yeah, You know, where where they recorded Born to Mac. Uh, I had the. I had the original studio for APG crew. Action Pack you know, Gangsters. When, where boy. they recorded Action Pack Gangsters. Uh, I had the Henry J. Kaiser, where uh, I saw Public Enemy with NWA. That was crazy. Back in the day, yeah, that was a wild show. Uh, <laughs> I, had, uh, I had Infinite Studios, where they recorded uh, I Got Five on it, you know, the remix to that with all the, with E40 and Richie Rich and Shock uh, G and. Uh, I had I had some, you know, some cutty spots like I had uh, Ococale, which is like this uh, cafe in Berkeley where Lyrics Born uh, recorded, uh, actually wrote the lyrics to uh, later that day. Wow, that's crazy, you know. And so I'll tell you my first Oakland hip hop memory. You know, and it's important to remember that, you know, I come from the Burbs. So my boy who used to live in the city, his name was Jay. And Jay used to steal his mom's car all the time. (laughs) And she had this kind of long, it looked like a Cadillac. It wasn't a Cadillac, but we called it the Green Bullet. It was just a long American car of some some random make. Like a Buick Regal? Yeah, man. But it was weird. It was a weird car. And so he would steal it. He would come by my place. He lived in Lakeview. He would come to San Bruno and we would shoot out. So I remember, I don't know where we were, but here's what happened. It was a hot night. We were sitting at the intersection. And as he pulled up to the stop sign, we looked to our right. And there was this dude 
He looked to be about 25. He was yoked. He was dark skinned. He was yoked. He had a navy blue with white trim TI sweatsuit. He was sitting in a navy blue two seater convertible Mercedes Benz. It had Coke white seats. He had a fat chain around his neck. He had a red nosed white pit bull in the passenger seat. And he was playing one of the songs from LL Cool J's I'm Bad album, but I'm Bad was not out. It was uh, Let's Get Ill. And Ella was like, hitting hard like, hey, Stax Calhoun, calling me a sucker, boy, you pushing the broom. And he was banging it. And he had a jerry curl and he just looked to his left and looked at us. And I was like, I have no idea what he's doing in his life, but I want everything that he has right now. And he just punched it. Boom. And he was gone. And I was like, man, Oakland is the bomb. I got to I got to be out here more. You know what I'm saying? And um, that's one of my most vivid Oakland hip-hop memories. Well, actually, it would probably be Eastmont Mall before then. But I remember that moment. And I remember going to the Fresh Fest and all that. But like, when you think about Oakland and hip-hop, how does it start for you? Like, what's your estimation of when hip-hop starts in Oakland? What is happening? And, and let's talk about how it evolves. Well, you know, the interesting thing about Oakland and the Bay Area in general is that it kind of exists on a prehistory level with hip-hop. Okay. Um, so it was actually, there's some foundational influences on what later became hip-hop. Right. Um, so, you know, the accepted narrative is that hip-hop began in 1973 in the Bronx with Cool Herc and just kind of like Athena, you know, springing mm -hmm. fully formed from Zeus's forehead and mm -hmm. some shit like that. Mm -hmm. But it's actually not the case in, in actual history. So if you go back uh, about a decade earlier uh, to 1964, uh, that was a very pivotal time in American history, uh, 1964, 1965, because you had the Civil Rights Act. Right. Uh, which outlawed discrimination. Uh, so what that actually did was that created all this opportunity uh, for black youth that didn't exist before. Um, and at the same time, there were these revolutionary movements that were uh, germinating, and you know the civil rights struggle uh, had 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 it had moved out of the South. It kind of evolved. I mean, you had you know Dr. King right. and and SNCC and CORE and all of those groups, and but they were really based in 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 the South. Uh, but Oakland was the last stop on the Transcontinental Railroad, mm. and so when people were getting out of the South to get away from racism. Uh, a lot of them would end up in Oakland and that would be their stop. And then they would go, you know, to uh, to West Oakland uh, the, where there was a big black community or they would go to Hunter's Point. Right. Uh, where there was a black community or they would go to Richmond or they would go to Vallejo. And so a lot of people from the South ended up in the Bay Area. Uh, but there was a revolutionary consciousness that was emerging out of this um, even before the Black Panthers and even before the Black Arts Movement, you had the Soul Students Association. The Soul Students Association, I am not familiar. Yeah, and they were they were uh, they were at uh, 
I think they were at Merritt College, uh, or Merritt and Laney. Okay. Uh, it could have been it could have been Laney, but uh, this was like in 1964, uh, and that was sort of like a. A revolutionary youth movement. It was a literary movement. They put out a journal. Um, they were organizing. Uh, they were doing the knowledge, uh, but it was also very cultural. Um, it was it was all about embracing uh, Black identity and Afrocentric culture. Uh, and then the next year, 1965, the Black Arts Movement was founded. Now, that was founded in New York by Amiri Baraka mm-hmm. and Sun Ra and... You know, members of the last poets, uh, but one of the other co-founders was Marvin Epps, right? Who was from Oakland, right? And so the Black Arts Movement came to Oakland like almost immediately after it started, and Black Arts was really about uh, it was it, it was a form of expression where uh, there was no difference between culture and politics. Okay, and it was also about getting away from, you know, false notions of, of social expression and into an identity that was uh, a little bit more direct and a little bit more urban. Um, and so it rejected all these kind of bourgeoisie uh, notions of black life uh, and was all about like, well, what's happening in the streets? Let me write a poem about it. Let me uh, choreograph a dance to it. Let me paint a painting about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was also a movement that was highly youth centric. Uh, so, so this, so so so, what from that qualifies to you as like the pre hip hop seeds? Well, all of it. I mean, that's the thing. Like, and you know, like if you would have let me finish, I would have just, <laughs> I would have just, just gone I'm there. I'm just, I'm, you know? I'm just, I'm just marinating um, with you, dog. I'm riding the train with you, dog. Let's all right, go. all right, all right. So, so the next stop on the train is like, so here we are, in like 1964, 1965. Now, one key thing that happens on a national level, uh, in terms of pop culture, is, you know, how like American Bandstand is like this really, really. Uh, successful show. So they start cloning American Bandstand and start having all these shows that are sort of based on the American Bandstand theme. Mm -hmm. Uh, But not all of them are, you know, there's only one Dick Clark, right? So other people start doing it. And that's when black artists start being featured on TV. Interesting. And, And you never had really had that before, like black music, to that extent. And one of the people that really uh, was highly visible and highly creative and kind of like coming into the peak of his artistic prowess was James Brown. Right. Um, So there had been a boogaloo craze in like uh, 1965 uh, where a a record uh, out of Chicago called Do the Boogaloo uh, sold a million copies hmm. and it was kind of like the twist or like one of those dances right 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 so james but james brown had been doing the boogaloo and he did you know the boogaloo on national tv uh and kids in oakland started imitating that mm. and even though like nationally people moved on to other dances like the watusi or whatever the the kids in oakland started innovating around Boogaloo. Interesting. And they went from the soul Boogaloo to the funk Boogaloo. Because also at this time, funk was starting to emerge. 
Uh, so by the time you get to 1966, 1967, 1968, R&B and Soul has like created this whole new variant called funk. Deep. And, you know, James Brown may be the father of, of, of the funk, but another very influential person was, was Sly Stone. Yes. Uh, so, and Sly was out of Vallejo, but he had been a, a, a DJ on on uh, KDIA, uh, actually on, on, on K-Soul, uh, which was a Bay Area radio station. Yeah, I used to uh, listen to K-Soul. Out, out of San Francisco. And KDIA. Uh, and uh, yeah, he had his DJ career and then he got his, you know, signed to a label and did his music career and, and just started like innovating with funk. So his funk was different than James Brown funk. Now at the same time that this was happening, the funk was happening and the boogaloo was happening, the Black Panthers were also happening because they were founded in 1966. So 66 to like 1970 were kind of like the the heyday of the Black Panthers. Uh, and they just became a phenomenon. Uh, they established the 10-point program and then they uh, uh, took over the state capitol in, in, in Sacramento. I remember that. And, uh, you know, walked into the state capitol armed uh they had shootouts with police uh they were very media savvy so they were on tv a lot uh and within like two years of being founded they had 28 chapters nationwide yeah i remember looking at that footage of the panthers when they when they took over the state so check this out so in 1968 Mm -hmm. the panthers opened up an information office in bronx river what Say that one more time for the people in the back. In 1968, the Panthers opened up an information office in Bronx River. Okay. Now, Bronx River at that time was pretty much inundated with street gangs. Yeah, for so sure. So you had the Black Spades, you had the Savage Skulls, you had the Seven Immortals. I mean, it was just... It was it was wild. Like just imagine the Warriors, the movie The Warriors. But for real, but for real. For real, for real. Yeah, without no Hollywood added yeah. on to it. I mean yeah. and so the Panthers, they they had this idea that they could revolutionize the, the street gangs and they could revolutionize the pimps and the hustlers and the dope dealers and that they could share the knowledge and uh introduce these brothers to some ideology. Right. Because um, one of the aspects of of the of the Black Panther program was political education. Right. Um, so gang members, you know, who were like teenagers, like started coming in there. And one of the people that came in there at a very early age, he m- might have been 12 or 13, uh, was the guy who would later become Africa Bambata. Uh, now, the Amazing. Reason that, the reason that I point that out is because when you look at like the philosophy of the organization that Bambata created, the Zulu Nation, it's, it's, it's very revolutionary, and it was definitely influenced by the Black Panthers, mm-hmm. influenced by Sly Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, Sly was actually the first to use a drum machine, an electronic drum machine, and how ubiquitous did that become to him? Dang. Yeah, man. Uh, and, 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 and so it's like really just the original conception. And then you look at the Boogaloo dance. The Boogaloo dance actually became, uh, because what we now know as popping, that actually started with Boogaloo. Wow. The the the, the pop, and you know and that and that preceded the up rock and the b-boy moves and then later on they became synthesized and now it's all under the field of hip hop dance but 
Boogaloo was actually the first uh, aspect of hip-hop dance before there was even a thing called hip-hop culture. There was Boogaloo culture. Wow. See, this is why I had to come sit with this man. Now, now do you want me to keep going? I do. I want going? you to keep okay, going. So, Break it down so, some more. So, you know, we, we start getting into the late 60s, early 70s. So Sly Stone has a couple of number one hits. He makes a record called There's a Riot Going On. Uh, his bass player, Larry Graham, invents the slap bass line. Boom, boom, yeah. boom, 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 And then that just becomes like a sound that just takes over black music. And, you know, the difference between Sly and, and, and James Brown, James Brown already had a sound. So right. the funk, the James Brown funk was like a harder, more regimented version of what James was already doing. Sly took it in the other direction and became looser. So he started emphasizing the space between the music and not so much guitar, but more the interplay between drums and bass. Mm. And it, it was also a little bit darker. Right. Also a little bit darker. Um, and so that starts to take over like black music and, uh, you know, Miles Davis uh, does a, he's very influenced by Sly. So he, he makes a record, a jazz fusion record called On the Corner, which uh, has all these techniques that we would later uh, would later become ubiquitous in electronic music, like tape loops mm. and using sitars and all these, you know, this is before there were uh, digital samplers. Okay, so I was talking about Miles Davis and On the Corner and how that was a record that was uh, very influential. Now, one of the musicians who played on On the Corner was this keyboardist called Herbie Hancock. Um, so On the Corner didn't, it, 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 it didn't sell very well. Uh, the critics panned it. Audiences couldn't understand it. It was dense, dark, and deep. Right. Uh, but it was also very influential. Musicians loved it. So then the next year, uh, 1973, Herbie Hancock recruits this band called the Headhunters from Oakland, California. They make an album called Headhunters. And it goes on to be the best-selling jazz album of all time. That's that's one Watermelon Man. That has Watermelon Man, which was famously sampled by uh, Supercat on Dolly My Baby, yeah. the Dolly My Baby remix, uh, which was one of the first appearances of of Biggie Smalls. You know what's crazy about that record? One, I just pulled it up on Spotify and I put it in this little playlist, but I actually realized that's the second record, like as a child, that I knew how to like put on the turntable and play without like dragging the knee. You know what I mean? Like having control over just like, just the coordination. The first record I ever could put on a turntable was the Beatles Revolution. And then the second record that I could remember always playing was Watermelon Man. That's crazy. Yeah, Watermelon. Hey, bruh, yeah, if so, you don't so, know that song, you need to go pull it up on YouTube after you finish this episode. Yeah, so so the Headhunters from Oakland were on that record, Headhunters, and they also played on the, the subsequent uh, Herbie Hancock album, Thrust. Uh, and so this is like Bay Area funk that is now being given a national and mm. international platform. Ridiculous. And of course that becomes seminal. Like in addition to uh, Watermelon Man, you also had Chameleon, and now Chameleon is very, very interesting because they have 
regular electric bass, but mm-hmm. then at one point, um, Herbie also plays keyboard bass. Um, and so that is really like the, the first time that like synth bass actually comes in on this record. And of course, synth bass would go on to become a hallmark of funk. Um, and then also got, uh, you know, uh, uh, used a lot in hip hop. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so basically, you know, there, even in the, 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 the pre-Cool Herc era, uh, the Bay Area and Oakland uh, were just a seminal influence on what became hip-hop culture. Now, when, once we get into the 70s, right, um, you got to remember that what was happening in the Bronx was only happening in the Bronx. Uh, I mean, occasionally maybe a cat from Brooklyn Queens, would come maybe. through, yeah. but... It was it, it it wasn't even really known outside of that area. So as the b boy thing and the DJ thing and the turntablist thing was developing, was kind of developing in a vacuum. Meanwhile, in the Bay Area, the Boogaloo thing was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It was still exploding. And yeah, you had all these groups coming up like the Black Resurgence, the Black Messengers, uh, and it spread into other areas of the Bay Area. Uh, so you had the Oakland Boogaloo, and then but then when that then when they went to Richmond, uh, they had their own style that they called Richmond Robotic. Wow! And then in San Francisco, it was called Strutton. Right. Yeah, that's the first word that I remember when I in 1983, uh, Lafayette and Brit had a strutting routine that they did for the talent show in 1983, and they were strutting. Right. That's but, what they told me it was. I was like, that's right. But, but all of that is derived from Boogaloo and uh, Boogaloo strutting and, and roboting are known as the funk styles in e. the hip hop dance canon. Uh, and so this culture, like it continues to spread throughout the Bay Area. It, uh, it, it just becomes, um, it's the form of youth expression before hip hop. Amazing. You know, before rap, before there was rap, there was boogalooing. Uh, and you know, and then and then you also have to talk about the visual art thing too, uh, because the a lot of the visual art uh, when I'm talking about like the community mural movement that happened in 1967. It happened in Chicago, but then it it spread to like other cities like San Francisco mm-hmm. and Detroit uh, and Portland actually. Uh, but a lot of that was influenced by the art of Emery Douglas, who was the minister of culture uh, for the Black Panthers. Absolutely. Uh, and just even the idea of, uh, art that is actually owned by the community and reflects community values. That is an idea from the black arts movement. That is mind blowing stuff, man. That is mind blowing stuff right there. And this is why, Eric Arnold is on Bishop Chronicles, man, because I promise you, you ain't going to hear this nowhere else, man. Well, you might. You might. He might. He might you be might. on somebody else's you podcast. Might. You, but right you now, might, you, you might hear it on NPR next year. But for right now, yeah. this is ex- exclusive. Exactly. But you know what I mean? Bishop Chronicles, West Side. So what I want to talk to you about is, is you know, because, oh, man, in hip hop evolution, you know, they have a whole section on the Bay. Which, and I've said before, it's probably 34 times I've said it, I wasn't mad at it, and I know it's hard to cover everything that deals with hip-hop in the Bay, but I felt like there was so much missed. But I also feel like that's not a bad thing. I think that it really just means that hip-hop is that big. 
that that there's that that, that there is that much to cover. But I felt like they didn't cover hieroglyphics. They didn't cover the turntable as contributions. They didn't cover a lot. You know what I mean? To me, they didn't cover a lot. Um, let's talk for a minute about Too Short because he's kind of like the foundation of everything, at least in my head, that... that wait, wait, they didn't mention hieroglyphics in Hip Hop Evolution? If they did, it was super brief, bro. I don't uh, really remember it. Like, wow, for real. that's like, crazy. I, like, I remember, I remember Short. I remember having Freddie, seeing Freddie B. I mm-hmm. remember, you know, uh, stuff like that. I don't remember Hyro. I hope I'm wrong, because I, ha- I only saw it once. So I hope I'm wrong, but I was like, okay, you know, Hyro, Living Legends, Mike T. Uh, 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 they didn't talk about Mr. Floppies and all of the clubs and all of the shows that made Oakland thrive. And I just felt like there was a lot missing in, yeah, in, I mean, in that episode. Because, but I don't blame them because there's because so much. the guys that did it weren't from the Bay. Mm, that happens. I mean, no, no, shade, no shade, but if you don't have a direct connection to a place, you're not going to have an intrinsic knowledge of things that happen in that place. You're not going to know the interconnections and the interrelations. And to tell you the truth, this happens with outside media all the time. Is There's actually a word for it that we use. is they'll parachute in. Mm. And a lot of times they have their idea of what a region is about. And they'll do things like put E-40 in a show that's about the 80s. Right. And E-40 came in in the 90s. Right. That so, happens. You know, but but it's 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 only because like E-40 is one of the most recognizable artists, rap artists from the Bay. And so they're somehow thinking that they're not going to be credible unless they shoehorn 40 a decade earlier than when he actually should be appearing. That's deep. That's deep. I mean, much love to 40. Of course. No doubt. But it's like he didn't, you know, he, he, they would, you know, actually, I mean, they were doing, they were starting to do some things. I think, uh, I think they had a record called All the King's Men that was very, very early before the, before the click. Before the click. That might have actually been in the 80s, but, you know, come on, there's like 20 copies of that record that were even made. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't like when the click really started landing, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was some, there was some other things going on in the eighties. So anyway, so, so the eighties, so before we even get into this though, we got to say like, all right, so 1979, Sugar Hill Gang comes out with Rapper's Delight. Mm -hmm. And that is like the first rap Record. That's the first time that you really have rap on a record. Right. On vinyl. And uh, I remember being, you know, in in school and kids would come through with the names on the iron-on right. sweatshirts. Right, you right. Know? Um, and It'd be like old they, English it, iron-ons. And they would be boogaloo crews. Yeah. And I remember them boogalooing to Rapper's Delight back in the day. Um, but... By 1981, just two years after that, you have the first Bay Area uh, rap record, which was uh, uh, Motorcycle Mike and uh, a song called Super Rat, which is kind of like a party disco record. It, it was actually, that from Oakland? Uh, he's actually, I think, from Richmond. Okay. Um, the first Oakland guy who really gets on the map is Too Short. And Too Short starts out... Um, just making tapes. Well, first he started like rocking house parties up in East Oakland mm-hmm. with Freddie B. Mm-hmm. 
And then he started making personalized tapes for, you know, people that were like players uh, in that in that right. time. Right. You know, so you're you're riding around and, you know, in your in your car and you have a two short tape where he's rapping about you. And that's like a higher level of game than just, you know, having a Run DMC or a Houdini tape. Yeah, that's that was a big deal. So too short, you know, kind of becomes like this underground phenomenon. And um, eventually, uh, he signs with his record label, 75 Girls, starts putting out albums. And these are all like X-rated, raw, uncut albums. Uh, some of the songs are like eight, nine minutes long. Yeah. Um, and Short is just rapping and rapping and rapping. And he just doesn't stop rapping. In fact, Don't Stop Rapping is one of his songs. Um, and he actually has, in 1985, he has one of the first... Uh, anti-crack songs called Girl, That's Your Life. That's and, right. Yeah. And it was one of the first songs to actually really talk about what was an epidemic um, from the point of view of someone observing the epidemic, not from a media point of view. I mean, 1985 was also the year that the media discovered that there was a crack epidemic. That's so deep. That's so deep. You know, one of the things that I've always believed about hip hop, and we know like mainstream uh, media has often gotten it wrong, but like I always hated how when it came to artists like Too Short, uh, specifically, like when those things were talked about, they would always just talk about the pimp lyrics or this and that, but they never really talked about just how what an amazing on the street first person account of like anti drug stuff like was in so much hip hop. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, it, it wasn't even necessarily anti-drug. It was really just talking about addiction, mm, you know, and it, it, it's that's like, more fair, yeah. It, it, it yeah, because it wasn't like something where it's an anti-drug PSA. Like, it wasn't just like say no, but like white lines. Like, was, well, don't do it. That was actually supposed to be a pro-drug. Thing. I know that's what's so crazy, you know, and they just threw the don't do it in there. Like at the end, dang! Uh, I remember when uh, I found that I was like, "What? Crazy!" Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so girl, that's your life. I mean, so it, that was kind of like a PSA, like a public service announcement. It was kind of like short was a ghetto reporter telling you about what was going on in, in the hood, uh, and really like, okay, here is what is happening to our community as it's happening. Yeah. Um, so that was really deep, right? So like, you know, kind of like by like. 84, 85, like you start having other people from the Bay um, start putting out records. Um, you know, and 86, I think, is, uh, I think that's when the first MC Hammer record came out. I think you're right. Yeah, because I had that on vinyl. So uh, MC Hammer had been a ball boy for the Oakland A's, uh, and he actually got hired by Charlie Finley, the owner. Uh, because Charlie Finley lived in Kansas City, uh, so he was he was kind of like a spy for the owner. So he would like report on what was happening in the clubhouse. Mm, and mm-hmm. um, when he decided to make a rap record, he actually recruited uh, Dwayne Murphy and I think uh, someone else from the A's to help put up the money for oh, that man, record. That's awesome. Uh, and then he went and recorded it uh, with Felton Pilate, uh, who was one of the guys in Confunction up in Vallejo. You know what's crazy? The first rap record that I ever bought from an Oakland rapper, I bought from off DJ EFX, who used to record in Hunter's Point. And that's where I met 12 Gauge. 
they call him AK Black now, but but DJ EFX had one of the first Bay Area rap studios. His his um Morocco Mo. He was from I think he was from Six Nine Village. But his name was Morocco Mo and his out his track was called Task. It was about the task force mm-hmm. Jack and Fools. That was that was that was the first Oakland rap record that I that I actually had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean it got it got pretty crazy. Like Oakland, like the, the the crack epidemic hit Oakland pretty hard. And then I think like around that time also Felix Mitchell died. Um well first he got arrested and then he died in prison. So who is Felix Mitchell for those that don't so know? Felix though? Mitchell was a big heroin dealer in Six Nine Village. And I mean there was like ten thousand people at his funeral, like some crazy number. But the reason I'm telling you this is because after he died, the whole drug game switched from heroin to crack and also became a lot more violent. Yeah, that was and a crazy time. That started to be reflected in the music. Uh, and, you know, you, you started having people talk about what was actually going on. Uh, and it was really some gangster shit. Um, for some people, it was economics, but for other people, man, it was gangster shit. And then there were other people that were dealing with addiction. And, you know, it was something where... You know, it didn't just hit young people. I mean, you had parents and even grandmothers yeah. that 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 got caught up in that. Um, so it really hit the the black community in Oakland pretty hard. Uh, and you had homicides like start to rise. And during that time, like Oakland was just it was super gangster. Like it, it had was a reputation really rowdy, that man. you don't you didn't go you didn't go there unless you had a real good reason to be there. Uh, but anyway, in 1987, uh, two short releases uh, his third album i want to say his third album actually it's his fourth album because he had three albums on 75 girls and then he does born to mac which is the first album from dangerous music yeah uh and that becomes that sounds like more than a hundred thousand copies independently and gets him signed to jive rca that particular album the reason i got that album is because i had an uncle who used to live on cuthbert street in oakland and um Someone stole his GMC Jimmy truck. They jacked it. And they crashed it. And that was the only thing that survived the crash. They put, they popped that tape in, crashed it, and then ran off. And that was the only thing that survived the crash. He was like, do you know who Too Short is? And I was like, nah. He was like, well, here's the tape. It's the only thing for my car. So, so Born to Mac, um, it has a song on it, Dope Fiend Beat. Yeah. And that's just like a Bay Area classic, right? But that's also probably the first time that a lot of people heard what is now Two Short's signature phrase, biatch! Yep. And, you know, so just got to keep it real. Got to give a shout out to that because Dope Fiend Beat was just a phenomenon. Everything. Um, and they actually played that in uh, 19... Uh, when 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 Run DMC uh, uh, played the Oakland Coliseum, uh, they actually played that uh, and the whole crowd just went wild. Uh, so yeah, by so by eighty six, eighty seven, uh, eighty eight, um, there's you start to have like more people from Oakland, like MC Hammer uh, was a regional phenomenon. Eighty eight, he gets signed to Capitol. Uh, you had APG Crew uh, out of West Oakland. Uh, they you know they they were actually a collective. There it wasn't just one group. It was like three or four groups in different amount uh, amalgamations. There was. Mellow Mar and Turntable T. And then 415, right? When does 415 come out? So 415 comes out. 415 is actually after NWA. So NWA comes out in like 1988. Yeah. And then the next year, 1989, 
415 comes out. Yeah. And so 415 has this uh, uh, album that is just super popular uh, in Oakland and the Bay Area. I used to get calls for it when I was DJing on the radio in Santa Cruz. And they would be like, hey, man, you got that 415? Yeah. Uh, and one record in particular that they did uh, just becomes an all-time classic, which is Sideshow. Mm. So that's really talking about the Sideshows, which were sort of like, it started from like the idea of high-siding, of, you know, you have your muscle car, you got some candy paint on there, mm. you got some fat rims some on fresh there, rims, yeah. and you're going to go around to Eastmont Mall and just cruise around. And then they started having like these gatherings of sort of like, you know, impromptu car shows after the mall closed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it might be like 200, 300, 400 cars up in there. Uh, and it's so big that the police really couldn't shut them down. And so once again, you have the ghetto reporter reporting on what's happening uh, from an inside perspective. And that's Richie Rich. Yeah, Richie Mr. Rich. Raspy. Yeah, that's Rich Rich. Uh, so Richie Rich does this song called Sideshow, and uh, that just becomes an all-time Bay Area classic, and, which takes us to the next year, 1989, when Digital Underground emerges, and they come out with The Humpty Dance, which, Man, becomes, a, the game. which becomes an MTV hit. Yeah, they got signed to Tommy Boy Records, and they put out Humpty Dance, and that becomes like a major... Uh, a major hit. Man, come on, man. Off the chain. Um, yeah, so, you know, that uh, So that era, that like the, the late 80s, early 90s, uh, uh, is, is such, such a, a really... Time, uh, just a real golden era uh, for, for hip-hop and golden era for, for Bay Area. Uh, then by the time you get to like... Uh, 1991, 1992, along comes Hyro, a hieroglyphics crew. So, um, so Hyro was like a, a group of kids that loved hip hop, and they um, uh, they all went to like Skyline High, uh, and they loved the crate digging aspects of it. And so, what, what is crate digging for the youngsters? Uh, so crate digging is when you dig in some record crates and you find like some obscure record. It could be a funk record, it could be a jazz record, maybe even a, a rock record uh, that might have a breakbeat on it. Uh, and then you loop that breakbeat. Yep. Yep. That's uh, digging so like in the James crates, Brown, kids. Funky Drummer is, is a breakbeat. Yep. Um, you know, for example. Yep. Uh, and so what Hyro did, though, what was so interesting is on... Um, on on their on their record on the the ninety three to infinity record that Souls of Mischief put out in nineteen ninety three, they didn't really use recognizable breaks. They found some stuff that was like super obscure mm -hmm. that no one else had used. And so when they came out, a lot of people didn't even think that they were from the Bay Area. They thought they they were from the East Coast. A lot of people thought that. I remember being a writer back then, and a lot of people thought that. But these kids were like straight out of East Oakland, 82nd <laughs> Ave. You know, and they were really some hip-hop nerds, but because their neighborhood was so tough, yeah. you know, they weren't that nerdy. Yeah. 
but they kind of were. I mean, yeah. they weren't nerd nerds. They were nerds yeah. when everyone else is a gangster. Yeah, exactly. It's easy to be nerds in in that. But but I also got to I also got to give a shout out to Dell because Dell actually dropped before Souls of Mischief did, and so he had this album. Dell is Ice Cube's cousin, and yep. so Dell wrote a gangster's fairy tale, which was a big record for Cube, and everybody always talked about that. Yeah, and then he got a record deal with uh, Elektra. I think um, uh, Dante Ross actually signed him to Elektra. Shout out to Dante. And, you know, that's the same guy. He also signed uh, De La Soul. Yep. Uh, and uh, so he puts out I Wish My Brother George Was Here, which is like this straight funk record. And um, I think that record went gold. And, it, you know, it, and it's kind of on from there. At the same time, the, you know, Hammer... Uh, had put out Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him, which is the first rap record to sell 10 million copies. So the Bay Area is balling when we get into the early 90s. And that continues through the mid 90s. People forget how big Hammer was. Like, we can say that Hammer was big. Like, at that time, man, that dude was, his success was truly unprecedented. I mean, he had a Saturday morning cartoon show. Out of control, dude. You know? Like, who else has a Saturday morning cartoon show? Like, Come on, man. That was ridiculous. Yeah, that was off the chain. Um, so then, you know, by the mid-90s, uh, you start getting a whole nother generation of people uh, from the Bay Area that start coming up. Uh, groups like The Coup with Boots. Yeah. You know? And they got signed to Wild Pitch. R.I.P. Pam the Functress. We ain't forgot you, girl. Yeah, we got to give a shout out to Pam. And Much also love. the Purple Pam Foundation doing yes. big things. yes. Purple Pan Foundation. Look into it for real on Instagram. Not a joke. Continue, sir. I mean, you're gonna have to ask a question or something. I just lost my train. Of I, just, I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was talking, I was talking you're about, talking about the, the coup, wild about the pitch. Coup, but there was like, there was a lot of Bay Area rap at that at that time, and it was all kinds of things. Like, you might have some political rap like the coup, uh, but at the same time, you would have. Uh, something that was kind of a little bit more street-oriented, like Three Times Crazy. Right. And the crazy thing is that Boots from The Coup and Keek the Sneak used to be on the same bill at shows at East Mount Mall. Yeah, man. You know, and also, just side note, you know, you also had artists like Paris who weren't from Oakland, right, was from San Francisco, but built his whole persona on the Black Panthers. Yeah, he called himself the Black Panther of hip hop, and he got signed to Tommy Boy. Put out "Break the Grip of Shame," which went gold. Yeah, that uh, made me do it, got, man. And Crazy. Then he got gaffled by the censorship crisis. He did. Yeah, he got gaffled by that. Um, but yeah, you know, so the Bay Area has been in this since day one. Actually, since before day one, because remember, the the accepted hip hop history starts in 1973, but the Bay Area goes back at least a decade earlier. Think about that, y'all. For real. Think about that as an actual fact. I think that one of the things that I learned watching Eric do the work that he did uh, for Respect was like when you really start looking at what we believe hip-hop history has been and you look at what other contributions from the Bay and other areas were, like it's really not the way it's been portrayed. And it's kind of crazy. No, there's more to it. I mean, but, you know, that's like the same thing between like Egypt and Nubia, right? Like there's more pyramids in Nubia than there are in Egypt. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, but no one really, you know, like hieroglyphics got translated. The Egyptian hieroglyphics got translated, but no one translated the Nubian language. Mm. Like not in that same way, right? There's yeah. no there's no Nubian Rosetta stone, so <laughs> he's talking about them real hieroglyphics, you know what I mean? Well, not real, just not I'm just not, casual. I'm talking you know about what the Bay Area hieroglyphics, but also the Kemetic hieroglyphics, you know? No, that's uh, powerful stuff, man. That's powerful real, real. stuff. So what are you working on right now, man? I mean, like you have you have some of the coldest Bay Area hip hop knowledge uh, of folks that I know. And I know a lot of really good gifted folks. So like you got any books coming out? You working on any docs? Like what do you, what, what, what is going on in your uh, world? Right? I mean, I am working on a, a, a Boogaloo project. Uh, don't want to say too much about it, but um, definitely looking into that right now. Um, I'm also working with the Purple Pam Foundation Beautiful. on some stuff. Uh, and yeah, they just announced uh, the winners of the DJ scholarship competition. Two female DJs are going to be studying DJing. They go into DJ school, y'all. That's beautiful. Uh, at Pyramid uh, uh, Sound in San Francisco and the Bee Junkies Institute of Sound. That's fantastic. Uh, in Glendale. Uh, and that hopefully that's going to be an annual thing and that's going to keep uh, Pam's legacy going. Um, I'm also uh, working on community development with the uh, Black Arts Movement Business District Community Development Corporation. Um, so, you know, we're just trying to uh, deal with what's happening in Oakland, which is a lot of gentrification, which results in a lot of displacement, yeah. uh, which results in a lot of culture shift. It's tough. Which uh, basically... Uh, impacts black people more than any other demographic. So we trying to keep Oakland black, we trying to keep it cultural, and we trying to keep it moving. Yo, man, well, I want to thank you for being on the Bishop Chronicles, man. If someone wants to holler at you, how do they do it? Send a raven. (laughs) (laughs) Game of Thrones, boy. Hey, I love that whole phrase, bro. Send a raven. No, I mean, mean, (laughs) I'm on Facebook. You can look me up. Word, man. Eric Arnold, Bishop Chronicles. We out here. Thank you for sharing that history because yeah, it's yeah. important, uh, not just for the Bay uh, and Oakland to get its proper due, but but for, for more balance in hip-hop history. So there you have it. You know what I mean? This is Bishop Chronicles. You dealing with the, a decent of Bishop. You know what I mean? You know, South Bay Shogun. We out here. FarsideTV.com. Sidelife Radio. World Wide West Side forever. Peace. Check me. Teacher, what style is that? Technique.